Welcome to the I Am In podcast. We are excited to announce that this summer, 2022, we will be recording our weekly summer speaker each Wednesday night at the Boise Institute. We will hear messages from various individuals sharing their life story in front of a live audience of young adults. Each speaker will share key times that God manifest Himself and prevailed in their life. It's the reason they continue to say, I am in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am Michelle Burke, the host of the I Am In podcast and an instructor at the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. Tonight, our audience of young adults will hear from Rob Diebel. Brother Diebel has been an instructor at the Boise Institute for six years and loves teaching and interacting with the youth and young adults of the church. When he's not in the classroom or in his office, you might find Brother Diebel outdoors biking, golfing, rock climbing, scuba diving, snorkeling, reading, or traveling with his wife, JJ, his daughters, son-in-laws, and most importantly, his darling granddaughter. Brother Diebel is an avid student of the gospel and thoroughly enjoys gospel discussions with young adults. All right, so I wanted to share this picture of my family for a couple reasons. One, just help you get to know me and my family a little bit better. In fact, my wife, JJ, would you stand up and just wave to everyone? And my youngest daughter, Jackie, are here. Jackie, would you stand up? All right, thank you. Um, if you want to ask them any questions, by the way, uh, they're here, so they're free game. You can ask them whatever you want and, and double-check what I'm saying is, is maybe make sure it's true or not. Um, when I was probably not, Dylan, how old are you? 28. Okay, so probably not this age group, but, <laughs> but probably the younger part of you. The idea of this, he's an old man. He's moving off to Dallas. He's got a grown-up job. He's full-on adulting. Um, so you are the embodiment of part of what I want to share tonight, Dylan, in, in the best way, in the best way. Um, this was not on my radar. I, I couldn't picture this family. I couldn't picture uh, the experiences that we've had together. Um, and also, in addition to that, I was so scared that if I, I, I knew I could have a family, I guess, I believe that, but could I provide for them? Could, could we make it? Or would I have a family and would I completely just fail? And I, I was genuinely sincere. Now, no one knew I was scared. I, like maybe some of you, I, I put on the brave face, I put on the confident face, and, but inside, I was genuinely scared about the future. And I wish I would have known then some things that I know now. And, but I guess that's the way we get generational growth, right? And it's, why, it's also why it's so important that you understand how important it is that you move forward forthrightly in life. Because what I have found is because I was willing in such, and you will see, like I'm stumbling, I am bumbling, I am like, I am a lost puppy throughout my life journey for the most part. But somehow, in some way, God is directing my path and putting up with my massive imperfections and teaching me patiently, teaching me some things along the way that I can now pass on to my own kids and I hope to pass on to you. That you can more alertly, more eyes wide open, more confidently navigate your difficult life circumstances and challenges. In fact, I'm going to share with you a few things that I think 
in the church, we, to a, we get to a degree, but to another degree, we're, we've missed the boat so much. And I hope to add some texture and some nuance to some scripture phrases that you're already aware of that might enable you to see them in just a little bit different light, in a light that will be really beneficial to you. The first is this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into thine own understanding. Like, what does that mean, to trust in the Lord with all your heart? Well, here's what it doesn't mean. It does not mean, I've got this general belief in God and I'm just going to, like, trust generally. See, there's this guy, if you don't know Frederick Nietzsche, um, only one of the most brilliant minds that have ever existed. A, an avid atheist, by the way. And a critic of Christianity in the best sense of the term. This statement, there's something in the statement he massively missed, but there's something he, I mean, the part he got right, he got dead right. And I want to share that with you. By the way, let me just show you a, a, a side note about what I mean by a, 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 a critic in the best sense of the word. This atheist way before the atrocities of the 20th century. He announced the death of God, and it wasn't a triumphal proclamation, yay, God's dead. It was, the world has rejected God. It was really a condemnation. And then he said on another occasion, you'll never find enough water to wash away all the blood. And what he meant by that was, you reject God at your own peril. And if we completely, and we have, is what he was saying, rejected God, it will, result, it will result in horrific consequences. He did not know, no one could have known how prophetic he was that 30, 40 years later, we would have, throughout the, well, I'll just give you the, the round numbers, throughout the 20th century ballpark, 100 million politically sanctioned deaths because of, primarily the rejection of God. But what he did know was this. In fact, let me, let me share with you this statement. For those in the back, you're not going to be able to read it. He said, in the Jewish Old Testament, the book of divine justice, there are men, things, and speeches of so grand a style that Greek and Indian literature have nothing to set beside it. One stands in reverence and trembling before these remnants of what man was. To have glued, here's where he got it wrong, and I'll, I'll explain this. To have glued the New Testament, the book of mercy, onto the Old Testament, to form a single Bible is perhaps the greatest sin against the spirit that literary, that literary Europe has on its conscience. What this atheist knew was what was being played out in the Old Testament was reality, things as they are. You and I sometimes... And by sometimes, what I mean is almost exclusively. Look at the Old Testament stories or other scripture stories kind of like this. Joseph, who was sold into Egypt. Huh. That's an interesting story. You know, that's a little bit like my life. I wonder if that would work for me. I wonder if that applies to me. That is so not the way the scriptures are to be read. What God is doing all throughout the Old Testament is trying to get it through our thick mortal skulls, the laws of the universe, existential reality, things as they are, the mode of big B being. Now, there are certain atheists, I've listened to one just recently, 
who can't believe in Christianity, can't believe in the Bible, because Moses wasn't a real person, he says. Moses didn't really exist. Well, I think this person is missing a vast understanding of what is, what do we mean by what's real? Well, today, for example, I got up early in this morning, went on a mountain bike ride with my friend. I went out to my father-in-law's house and helped him with the project. I had lunch. That was all real. That really did happen. But guess what? I mean, you're thinking, well, so what? What does that have to do with me? Well, guess what? If Moses is just having a unique, singular experience that's unique to him, if Joseph, who was sold into it, is just having this unique, singular experience to himself, well, good for you guys, but what does that do for me? What is more important than whether Moses was real or not? And he was, but that's, that's not the point. What is more important to understand what is real is that what, got, what is playing out through all that is the rules of the game. And what Nietzsche didn't quite get is if you can understand the rules of the game, then you can become New Testament, the master of the game. See, you are expected to be the masters of the game. You know this already. You're already living it. For example, the prophet says, keep the Sabbath day holy. You and I, well, how do you do that? I don't know. You're the master of the game. You understand the rules. Go do it. And you don't need to be told every little step because now you're the master of the game. But you can't be the master until you first learn the rules. And so, for example, one of the rules that's being played out in Joseph who was sold into Egypt is this idea of trusting the Lord with all your heart. And there's a, there's a corollary truth, and that is this. The truth will set you free. So when you and I are faced with an ethical decision, whether it's in your professional workplace, whether it's in your education, and you're like Joseph, and you come up against that moment, it's not, well, I'm just going to arbitrarily or generally trust in God. It's like, no. God told me the rule of the game is the truth will set you free. And so I'm going to be true to truth. I'm going to be true to my integrity. I'm not going to give in, come hell or high water, and things will work out. Now, here's another brutal reality of that. Nine times out of ten, quite frankly, they're going to work out in this life. Sometimes the truth will set you free like they did for Abinadi. Sometimes you have to live long enough to see the truth set you free. But it doesn't change it nonetheless. That's one of the rules. So let me talk to you about a couple other laws or truths or realities that are being played out in the Scripture. And eventually I'll share with you how these played out in my life. Another scripture I don't think we really get. In Genesis chapter 1, really 26 and 27, God says that you and I, man and woman, is made in His image. Well, we get the part, and, and I don't want to minimize this. This is not to be minimized. It's doctrinally so significant that man and woman was made in the image of God and that we have bodies like Him. But think about it. What? When God gives that statement... What is about to happen? What are we about to embark on? And what has just happened before that? Well, what is about to happen is this. All of humanity is about to embark on this grand adventure called mortality. It's what you and I are living. And what has he just done? He has just organized this earth out of unorganized material. And so when he says, Hey, Elizabeth, you're made in my image. It's not just hey, you've got a body like mine. 
Well, that's great, and that's important, that's true. But it's God is He who maximizes potential. God is He who organizes out of the unorganized or creates order out of chaos. And so as Adam and Eve, or you and I are about to embark, that's who you are. And so as you go forth, I want you to know what you are. And it's not just that you happen to look, because I guarantee you, every one of your parents, I shouldn't say every one of you, probably most of your parents, as you left home, they probably had some wisdom and some advice. That's, by the way, that's what Jesus did with the disciples in the New Testament. He said, hey guys, this is my paraphrasing, by the way. He never said you guys, I don't think. But hey guys, uh, I'm going to send you out in the world. Uh, the world is going to hate you, but I'm not going to keep it from you. Because Jesus knew this truth. You don't keep your children safe by protecting them. You keep your, you keep your children safe by making them strong. And so what he did in the chapter before that, in chapter 16, verse 33, he said, but I've shown you the way. I've given you an example. And so as you go off into the world, you're all, every one of you, you're going to have chaos to confront and to try and bring some order to the world. And that's what your parents have done for you. Hey, I, I, I know Elizabeth's parents. I guarantee it. They had some wise advice. Am I right? Yes. yes, right? They didn't just say, hey, you look like me. And by the way, in my, my kids' case, they're like, oh, that doesn't do me any good, Dad. I don't really want, especially, especially I got all daughters, by the way. But, uh, so let me just quickly go through a few of these because we don't have a, enough time. And by the way, um, I will probably play this out a little bit more at the end of the month. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'll be speaking at the YSA Fireside on the 26th. So come and uh, we'll, we'll delve into this a little deeper. But um, another reality it's played out all throughout the scriptures. Sometimes you and I are thrust into chaotic situations or we have what in the moment might appear to be negative things happen to us because we would never voluntarily choose that ourselves, right? Joseph, who was sold in Egypt, he was never voluntarily going to go into Egypt, right? Joseph Smith's family, they were never voluntarily going to move to New York if everything's wonderful in Vermont, Right? Moses didn't volunteer. Hey, choose me to be the deliverer. I'd like to be that guy, right? Brother Edwards didn't say, hey, you know what, guys? I would be the best state president. Choose me. Here's my campaign poster, right? Everyone vote for me. But that's what happens. And so, in those moments, how do you handle them? Well, Adam and Eve, initially, they start to hide. Now, this, this, there's, some, there's some humor in here that's not supposed to be lost on us. Who are they hiding from? They're hiding from God, and what are they hiding behind? A bush. Like, you're not hiding from God, right? That's sorry. Uh, you know, like Jonah. Jonah was trying to be like, I want to hide. Like, sorry, you're not hiding from God. But, but we do. Like, I, I, told, I told Jonah, my... my the prophet in the Old Testament I relate with the most, for sure. What they were hiding from was forthrightly confronting their potential. And by the way, there's reason to be scared. There's reason to be a little fearful. Some of you are getting ready to go on a mission. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a little nervous. Some of you are about to move to a brand new big city on to start a new job and 
don't know anyone in the big city and a little scary. But you're going to go forth, or you're just super excited and confident, but you're going to go forth forthrightly, and along the way you're going to have adventures. Because here's another truth, guys. You can't keep the serpent out of the garden. You couldn't in the pre-mortal world. You couldn't in the Garden of Eden. You couldn't in Sacred Grove. And so you have a choice. The choice isn't whether you're going to confront the serpent or not. The, cho the choice is whether you just sit back and let the serpent come to you, or do you go out and have these experiences that will enable you to be armed and powerful and potent so when you face the dragon, you come off conquer. And by the way, choosing to be here tonight is part of that. Choosing to educate yourself and however you choose to do that is part of that. Now, we're not going to go into all this. We don't have time, but you get the gist. It's really good stuff. And it's not good. I didn't come up with it. It's... So, in the, the few minutes we, we have left, let me walk through a little bit about how I got to where I am here. And uh, how at one time I was naked in the garden and I didn't know it. Like, uh, what does that mean, naked in the garden, you don't know it? Like, Adam and Eve, you're in the garden. How oblivious do you have to be to be naked and not aware of it? Like, that's pretty dang oblivious, right? If, it, if every one of us right now were, were, or if any of us were instantly naked, like we would be hiding for cover as fast as we can, right? And so what God is saying in that is, wake up, open your eyes. I want you to see who you really are and what's really going on here. Be wise as serpents, yet without sin. But at some time or another, we're all like that. None of us really knows who we are and what our potential is and what we're going to be doing 10 years from now. Well, as a young man, um, I loved all sports and played all sports, and I still, quite frankly, love all sports and, and all outdoor activities. Uh, but soccer was the thing that I definitely had the best opportunity to do something with. And I had big goals and aspirations and dreams for soccer and my life. And had some possibilities in front of me at a time that I thought I was going to accomplish everything that I ever hoped and dreamed of. Um, I was on the Olympic development team. And we were getting ready. Well, we had hired a guy from Southern California. Um, since this is being recorded, I won't use his name. Um, to come up and work with our Olympic development team. And he knew all of the big name coaches, uh, in, uh, the, the national team, uh, big university coaches, guys that end up coaching professionally soccer in the United States. That um, he, was gonna, he selected five of us to travel uh, up to, to Portland, Oregon. Nike was putting on a big tournament for us. And uh, to travel separate from the rest of the team when we were all going to get private meetings and interviews and, private, and, and scouted by all these guys. And... and this guy had also invited me, he, lived, he was from Southern California, I didn't mention that, to come and move away from home, to live with him, to train full-time. And uh, my old, an older friend of mine had done this, and he ended up making the national team. He got a full ride to Duke. And I'm thinking, this guy's going to make my future. And I was the only LDS kid on the team. I'm traveling in this minivan. I'm in the seat right next to him. And as we get into Portland... Actually, let me step back a little bit. So before we had left on this trip, at a practice, I, had had a, a, I got a pinched nerve in my lower back. Bad enough to where when my buddies drove me home, I walked into my house, hobbled into my house, and I got into the hallway, and I just collapsed. And I was a young, fit, healthy young man, 
And I laid there on that floor for an hour and a half until my dad got home. I literally couldn't move. And he had to carry me. We had a, a friend in our stake who was a chiropractor and carried me to the car, carried me in, and so this guy could work on me. I didn't tell any of my coaches that this had happened. <clears throat> because, again, I think this is potentially a big opportunity for me. And I didn't want to blow it. And I'm just hoping and praying that my back will loosen up and I can perform. I'll tell you what happened here in just a little bit. <clears throat> but as we're driving in to town, he, he, he says, he used to play professional soccer and go to Portland line. He said, hey guys, I'll, I'll show you where the prostitutes are. I'll, I'll buy you kegs of beer. Just don't tell anyone. And my parents weren't on that trip. And, um, and I realized I'm not in Kansas anymore. Like this is a whole new world. And, and I was a young man. Now I didn't do that stuff. Um, but I also like, and, and where I was spiritually uh, at this particular time in my life, I had never at this point on my own, I had gone to church and read scripture there, but I had never on my own ever, not once, read scripture. I had never said a personal prayer on my own. Um, we didn't ever have family home, even or family uh, scripture study or fa family prayer or anything like that. <clears throat> if I'm being really honest, I, I think I've always had a testimony. Somehow, in some way, I think I was born, like I just, I've, I've just known the church was true. Not, but I certainly was not converted at this particular time in my life. Um, so I get out there, our very first game, and I just can't perform. I'm like, I, guys, I can't run, right? I'm like, Ugh! and I'm trying, and the coach like instantly, like not five minutes in the game, pulls me out. I was like, what the heck is going on? And then I had to come clean. I had been lying to him and yeah, I didn't tell him, and I was just hoping things would loosen up, and, and that was it. That was it. I didn't play anymore. That, I just couldn't. So my, my big shot to shine, and, and it just wasn't there. I was a, on, on their radar. I'm sure I was probably just not on the radar. I did get to meet them, but, you know, that doesn't do much. So I came away from that trip realizing, okay, for, and I don't know why or how at that young of age I, I, I came to this realization was like, you better figure out how you're going to live your life. Like, with this, if you're going to go live with this guy who just offered these things to you, like, what do you really believe? How, do you, how are you going to choose to live your life? And I had an aunt and uncle who, and, and a cousin who was just a year older than me who lived in Sandy, Utah. And I called him and said, hey, can I come and live with you? I didn't have the confidence that I could make whatever decision I was going to make. And it wasn't... You know, I need to get my life in order. I need to, I need to find out for sure if the church is true. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't that um, faithful of a decision. It was, I just need to make a decision how I'm going to live my life. That was probably as far as it got. <clears throat> and, and they said, yeah. They had a room. It wasn't a bedroom. It was this tiny little room that they converted to a bedroom for me. And so I lied and told all my buddies, oh yeah, they got an indoor soccer program. I'm going to go train over the winter. And, and I did that stuff, but that's not what all why I was going. But I didn't have the confidence to tell them, hey, I, you know, I need to spiritually go figure out how I'm going to live my life. And, but I, this little tiny room was my sacred grove for about four months. And I said, okay, I'm going to read the Book of Mormon. Guys, I, when I tell you like, I did not know the story of the Book of Mormon. Like, Nephi and Lee and his family in Jerusalem. And, like, I'm literally just trying to follow the storyline. Like, the idea of finding principles or truths was so far beyond where I was. I was just literally trying to understand the story. But I started saying prayers regularly. I started to, like, intentionally listen to good music. Not, 
necessarily ACDC or Motley Crue or whatever. <clears throat> Not that I would, no. <laughs> <clears throat> and at some point, I, I, and by the way, I did go to seminary. I didn't ever say anything. I sat in the very back, didn't say one thing for the four months I was there. But I remember feeling different when I went to school. Like I'd never felt that before. And, and I just knew, like, it was this peace. And as confident as I thought I was, I'm sure I wasn't, because I wasn't willing to face all my friends, right? I mean, but, but there's probably a certain part of you that, as a young man who, who's athletic that maybe thinks you're cooler than you really are, right? Maybe, for, maybe it's true of a lot of us. Um, I'd never felt that before. But it was so noticeable. I was like, okay, I, I don't know a lot, but I know this is true, and I know how I have to live my life. And so now I had to make the next decision. When I go home, now what? I, I knew I was so fresh, I was so new into this, I couldn't go back in that environment. And so I, when I moved back home, I just didn't go back into that friend group at all. And I was so scared because I didn't have a single LDS friend ever in my life up to this point. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to leave all my friends in high school, and, but now what do I do? <clears throat> well, a little bit of time went by, and the seminary teacher. Now, my freshman year, I went five, maybe five times to seminary. My sophomore year, if I went to seminary, when I went to seminary, I don't even know if I had scriptures, and I certainly didn't say it. And there was nothing about me that would have said, oh, this guy should be a leader of the seminary. My junior year, I told you, I moved away. And for whatever reason, he called me and said, hey, can I come by and visit you? And then he come by, came by and said, hey, we'd like to call you to be the, the um, activities director on, uh, for, or co-chair on our seminary council. There was no reason why he should have done that. But what that did is that put me in an environment where I made some incredible, athletic, equally athletic, really cool young men that became little s saviors for me. Now, I didn't tell them. They had no clue what was going on in my heart and my mind, what, what experience I was going through. But we just started to do things together. And they became, to this day, I still golf and mountain bike and do things with these guys. And I'll forever be in their debt and I'll forever love them. Well, because of that, I decide, okay, I'm going on a mission. Had I, first of all, not gone on a mission, I wouldn't have been married to the wife that I've got. I wouldn't have the kids that I've got. That little decision to sacrifice soccer and then to sacrifice friends. But by the way, that's also reality. When Adam and Eve move forward, the very first thing they do is make sacrifices. And that is what faith is. Faith is this. It is, I wish I could, you could write this down. It is acting as if things are a reality before they are a reality by laying down the most worthy sacrifice you can now for a better tomorrow. That's what we did in the pre-mortal world. We acted as if the atonement was real before it was real. And that's what God and Jesus did. They laid down the most worthy sacrifice our Savior, for a better future, not only for themselves, but for everyone. And when you're making worthy sacrifices, they not only benefit you, but they'll benefit everyone else that comes in contact with you.
but the friend group didn't come until I made the sacrifice. Sometimes you're going to pray, hey, let me have this first, and then, no, that's not the way it works. Faith precedes, or the sacrifice precedes the miracle. Faith is not just, oh, I have this ethereal faith in God floating. No, it's the way you conduct yourself by laying down worthy sacrifices. Dance, please. <laughs> Can we t touch that again, maybe? Thank you. Um, so, let me, time is up. We got, I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. So, <clears throat> soccer was still on my mind when I went on my mission. And I, the BYU coach had contacted me beforehand. They were trying to get uh, a Division I scholarship program, and while I was on my mission, they got approved to get this. And so he writes me, and I, I brought it tonight. I want to share this letter of intent to sign to, to play soccer for BYU on scholarship. And I thought, okay, it's not the, choice, the school I would have chosen, but hey, you know, I can go back and maybe I, this, maybe this is what God wanted for me. This is the way I'm going to pursue soccer. And maybe I can still go and do the things that I really would like to do. And so I went to my mission president, who I was really close with, and he says, okay, elder, everybody that has asked me about this up to this point, I've denied them. But I know what kind of mission you've served, so I'm going to leave it up to you. And that's the best thing if he would have just said no, I wouldn't have had this experience. So I'll forever love him and be grateful that he allowed me to have this singular experience or this personal experience. But he said, I want you to really pray and fast about it. And so I did. We were going to meet three weeks later to me to give him his decision. One of the most obvious times in my life I was receiving an answer to a prayer. And it was, because I would have had to go home early, right? You need to finish your mission. And it was, it was so clear, like, okay, I'm going to finish my mission. And I thought, okay, not a big deal. I'll finish my mission. And I thought, honestly, at the time, it's because I needed to finish this all the way through. And then so I'll come home, I'll work, I'll go to school at BC, and then I'll transfer to B BYU next year, and it'll all work out. Well, here's what happened. I get home, two things. Title IX kicked in. For those of you who don't know what Title IX is, that's the gender equity thing, which meant that they had to have equal number of women and men's scholarships. And so all across the country, men's athletic programs that were non-revenue programs were eliminated, and BYU got rid of their soccer program. So that scholarship that I would have received was gone. And had I been there at BYU that semester, I wouldn't have met my wife. In that time, I met my wife. And because of that, tender mercy of God keeping from me. See, guys, the whole time I'm trying to chase this thing. And God is like, Debo, you have no clue what you're doing. You're naked in the garden. You don't even know. I've got something else in store for you. Now, because time is short, I, I had business opportunities that I wanted to pursue that were good business opportunities, I thought, and, and could have been fun. And, and for a myriad of reasons, they didn't work out. And I'm like, man, this is like frustrating. <clears throat> well, here's the other reality. When I was on my mission, and periodically, throughout time, God would say, I'd just get this thought, you should look into teaching seminaries a career. Like, I didn't even know what that meant. Like, what? A career? Like, we talk. And so I just brushed it aside. Well, after this one business idea or opportunity didn't work out, I'm working at uh, Albertson's corporate headquarters over here. I'm the supervisor of their IT department. And the more that career is progressing, the more miserable I'm becoming. And this idea pops into my head again. You should look into teaching seminary. And I immediately do what I always did. I brushed it aside. No, come on, something real. Give me a real thing. But it persisted. 
And it turned out I had some people in my life at that time that I knew that were involved in seminaries and institutes, and one of them said, hey, we've got this student teacher that's not working out. At the semester, what, before you go into Albertsons, why don't you just come teach us early morning class and see if you like it? And it was like almost instantly I knew this is what I want to do. It felt right. And so here's what I ended up having to do. I, I had a, a decision to make at one point. I had, at, this is like a long time ago, about 20 some odd years ago, I had a, two pr a promotion and a raise, which would have totaled about $25,000, $30,000 in increase in pay at the time, that I had to basically turn down in order to pursue this. But I felt like this is what I was supposed to do, so I did it. I was so stressed out. But, but, but I was also stressed out at work. I hated my job. It was miserable. Like I said, I was miserable every day. But I did it. And a miracle happened, and I got hired. And about a month after being hired, I'm having dinner with my family, which I didn't get a chance to do very often back then because of my work hours. And I'm sitting across the table, our young little family's there, and all of a sudden this weight just kind of melts off my shoulders. Just whew. And I looked across my way, I said, ah, oh, this is how people are supposed to feel. The whole time I'm fighting what God is trying to navigate me to. if I would have just trusted with all my heart and not leaned into my own understanding, I could have gotten to this point probably at a lot smoother and quicker and, and without so much um, stress and worry. First, let me just, this is why it's so important what President Nelson says, that you learn to understand personal revelation. And when you get thoughts and promptings, don't discard it, look into it. He's directing your path if you let him. Don't hide from your potential. Don't hide from your future. Because here's what's going to happen, guys. If you'll do that, and this is what he was doing with me. And by the way, here's the beautiful part. None of us do it right. None of us do it perfectly anyways. I shouldn't, that's a better way of saying it. But he's so patient. And what he realized with me, and what he realized is there's a whole lot of dead me, old dead me that needed to burn off before I could come, and I'm not saying I'm the phoenix, believe me, I'm still a lot of dead me's burning off, trust me, right? But, but, <clears throat> but I'm a lot more of a phoenix than I used to be when I didn't even know that Nephi lived in Jerusalem and had it, right? I've come a long way. And if you'll trust in the Lord along the way, some of your old dead self that needs to burn off will burn off. And slowly but surely, you will be redeemed and you'll come forth what you really are, what God can see in you. And so it's my hope and my prayer, my friends, that you will go forth forthrightly and you'll confront all of the challenges and opportunities that lie before you, those things that are scary. Trust in the Lord. Let Him guide you. And yet, you're going to have some skin knees along the way. But you're also going to become absolutely, in the best sense of the word, formidable and potent. And so that's my hope and my prayer for all of you. May God bless you. And I've, we've gone too long. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.